Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 23, verses 1 through 9. And as I've been reminding you every time, <laughs> uh, so we've been reading this section of the Old Testament, but it's something to keep in mind through all of the Old Testament, is uh, that we do need to read it in light of Jesus and uh, how he fulfills everything, bringing it to us in a new way. Uh, before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made. God, we thank you for your word, which you have given to us. God, we thank you for the ways that you have revealed yourself to us in creation and in, uh, in Scripture, and most of all in Jesus. Lord, we pray this morning that you would help us as we hear your word read and proclaimed. Uh, that you would help us to come to know you better, to come to love and trust you more, in everything. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus 23, verses 1 through 9. This is uh, what's being given to Moses to give to the people on Mount Sinai by God. And he says, Do not spread false reports. Do not help a guilty person by being a malicious witness. Do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. When you give testimony in a lawsuit, do not pervert justice by siding with the crowd, and do not show favoritism to a poor person in a lawsuit. If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you fallen down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure you help them with it. Do not deny justice to your poor people in their lawsuits. Have nothing to do with a false charge. And do not put an innocent or honest person to death, for I will not acquit the guilty. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds those who see and twists the words of the innocent. Do not oppress a foreigner. You yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners, because you were foreigners in Egypt. Turning then to Luke chapter 5, all the time saying we need to read the Old Testament in light of Jesus. How do we know about Jesus unless we keep reading from from the New Testament, particularly in the Gospels? This is Luke chapter 5, verses uh, 17 through 26. One day, Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, 
We have seen remarkable things today. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, we are going to look at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9 this morning. And uh, I put these things in the wrong order. We're going to go ahead and read this. We'll talk about some other things. This is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 13 through 23. And this really picks up on the heels of what Paul has been saying, um, really starting in uh, chapter 8. And this is Paul, who is writing to a church in Corinth. And uh, one of the questions that they had asked him about was about food sacrifice to idols. And so he's really been going on about that. But it's in this that we learn uh, some bigger principles for just life in general that are much bigger than just the food sacrifice to idols question. And so the way in which he answers the food sacrifice to idols question teaches us a lot about how we answer all kinds of questions uh, that maybe hadn't even come up yet for uh, the church in Corinth, but maybe come up in our own churches. So uh, this is a part of that answer, and we'll talk about how this works together. But anyway, here we go. This is 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 13, going through 23. It says, Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple, and that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But I have not used any of these rights, and I'm not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me, for I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I'm simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make use of my not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. All right. Um, before we get into this, I would like to uh, go ahead and go to the next slide here. There we go. Uh, I have taken pictures of uh, the pages of our Old and New Testament readings for this morning. Uh, I don't know if you can see that clearly or if you can read it out loud for us. Any volunteers? You're not going to read that out loud. <laughs> yeah, so the, uh, the one in Exodus uh, on your left there, that actually is in Hebrew and it goes uh, right to left. So yeah, that's kind of weird. And then the uh, one on the right, that's in from Greek or from Luke. That is in that's in Greek. And it goes left to right. Um, the reason I show these to you is because I expect that you probably can't read them. But these are the languages that these books were originally written in. And so the question has to be: 
aren't you thankful that somebody has done the work of translation so that when we read them this morning, we read them in English, in a language that you can understand, so that when you hear these words, it doesn't just sound like gibberish, but it is spoken, it's the same message, but spoken in a way that you can understand it. This work of translation, we kind of take it for granted. We open our Bibles, we expect that they will be in a language we understand, right? But that's only happened because people have done the work to bring that over into uh, English. And so the idea of translation, of course, is you don't want to change the message. You want to make the message understood, right? In the other language. And so, uh, okay, you can go away from that now. <laughs> that's, that's just fun. Um, this seems to be a lot of what Paul is doing. The way that he talks about the way that he goes about ministry, wherever he goes, he is constantly doing this work of translating the good news of Jesus into a language, into a way in which people understand it. Not just in literal language translation, but in the way that he explains it to the people he's talking to. And, um, and this, is, uh, this is really the message that he's getting around to with the whole of the um, food sacrifice to idols thing. You're like, how do these things go together? We'll get there. If you look at that first part in chapter, or chapter 9, verses 13 and on, he makes a big deal about the word gospel. Like that shows up six times in six verses. That's kind of a thing for him, right? <laughs> what does the word gospel mean? It means good news. And so this is the uh, message that Paul is bringing from place to place, the good news of Jesus, of the kingdom of God, and of the Messiah who is Jesus. And, um, and he says that it is, don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple? This is, uh, he is explaining the way in which he has absolutely the right to uh, earn his living from preaching the gospel to the church in Corinth. And he says, that's the way it works. You look back at the Old Testament, these are the principles put in place. We looked last week at the uh, passage from Deuteronomy 25 that he quotes saying, uh, it's written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. And then he says, yeah, this actually applies to us. That this is a principle from the Old Testament that carries forward that those who are uh, doing the work should share in the harvest. And he's like, he's even talking about animals. That applies to us. But now he takes it a step further and says, when we think about it, those who are serving in the temple, where do they get their, uh, their living from? From the temple. And what about the altar? Also, they eat some what was sacrificed on the altar. This is what, uh, this is how it works. And that God has put this into place for a reason. Now, when you think about what Paul's already talked about with, uh, with his church, about saying, do you not know that you are the temple? <laughs> and so now he's saying, if I am working among you, the temple of God, why would that be different? Wouldn't it be the same thing as those who serve in the temple in Jerusalem? Yeah, it would. And the same thing with the altar, uh, this uh, sacrifice is like, I, I should be able to share in what has been offered uh, to God. 
And then it's in, oh, and then in verse 14, he says, in the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. When he's talking about the Lord here, he's referring to Jesus, who sent people out to share the good news. And when, he, when they did so, he said, don't take anything with you, right? For the worker is worth his keep. And when, he, when you go into a house, like they're the ones who will be providing for your needs because you are doing this, uh, this work. And so he, it says, in the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. And so over and over and over again, he is saying those who preach the gospel should uh, earn their living from the gospel, from sharing that message with other people. And then in verse 15, but, says, but I haven't done that with you. Isn't that curious? Isn't that curious that he would go to such great lengths to say that this is how it should be and then to say, but I don't do that. Is he not doing what he ought to be doing? What is going on? But remember, this is all in answer to the question of what do we do about food sacrificed to idols? And his answer has been uh, throughout that uh, there, the way that we answer this question is not, is it right or wrong, period, but is it right or wrong for me in this particular sit- setting and situation? And so um, he has said that there will be, uh, there will be some situations where you're around somebody and you say, you know, it's, it's not wrong for me to do this, but it would be wrong for me to do this around them because for them, this would be a major stumbling block. It would get in the way of their relationship with Jesus. They would think that I am condoning things that I'm not condoning. And so he says, in that situation, you don't eat it. And that's actually where he says, uh, if, this is uh, chapter 8, verse 13, he says, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall. Like, this is the way that he has applied this to himself, is saying, I am going to look at the question personally and say, it's not just about me, it's not just about me and Jesus, it's about my relationship between me and Jesus and other people. And I have to include the other people in the equation as I'm determining whether this is right or wrong for me. So then why does he talk about whether or not he gets paid by the church in Corinth? Same thing. This is, again, applying it to himself. And he's saying that for um, that in general, is it right for the preachers of the gospel to get paid? Yes. He says, and yet, for me, for you, in this situation, it wouldn't be right. And, uh, and so he doesn't. And uh, he even says, he goes as far as to say, I would rather die than to allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. And I really wonder if what he means there is, like if nobody else were supporting him, which he did have support from other churches, uh, just not from the church in Corinth. Um, but if no one supported him, if even you know, making the tents that he also did on the side, if, if all of that fell through and he was getting no income at all from anywhere and he was starving to death, I'd be like, well, maybe you should ask the Corinthians for money. He's like, no, I would rather die. Why? Because for whatever reason, he sees that that, in their case, would get in the way. And he doesn't want to do anything 
that would get in the way of other people coming to know Jesus, of them actually hearing the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And this is, um, this is why then he goes into you know, verses 19 through 23 of that, um, to the Jews, I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. <laughs> is Paul Jewish? Paul was super Jewish. <laughs> I mean, for real. He multiple times talks about how he was, um, yes, of the, he's a Hebrew, he's of the tribe of Benjamin, he was a Pharisee, and he even describes himself in Philippians as a Pharisee of Pharisees, <laughs> uh, or a Hebrew of Hebrews. And then he says, uh, in, um, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, um, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Like, he talks about his whole resume as being like the most Jewish you can be, and the, like it's uh, following the Old Testament law as much as you can possibly follow it. Like, that's who he was. And then he says, but all that is garbage compared with knowing Jesus. That's the thing. And so, um, man, read Philippians 3. It's so good. Um, but this is what he wants for everybody. That there's, uh, and so he says, even though he is Jewish, he says to the Jew, I became like the Jews. It's like, but Paul, how do you become like the Jews? You're already so Jewish. It's like, that's not my identity anymore. Have you not been paying attention? I'm in Christ. My identity is in Christ. And so when I'm around Jewish people and I'm kind of doing life like they do life, it's not because I was raised Jewish. It's because I'm trying to translate the message of the gospel into a language they can understand. I'm not trying to put any stumbling blocks in the way of them hearing the good news of Jesus. And so the same thing with the, um, when he says to the, uh, those under the law, became like one of the law, same thing. Those having the Old Testament law who are following that and feel like that's what you need to do. He's like, all right, fine. When I'm around you, we can do that. I follow that. Do I need to follow that? Not for me. Why does he do it? I do it for you. <laughs> Because I want to be, make sure that you understand uh, the good news of Jesus. And then to those not having the law, anyone not Jewish. So I became like one not having the law. That doesn't mean like anything goes. He even says, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as, uh, and then so as to win those not having the law. And uh, this is very important that he has a little in parentheses there, though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, that we do still have. You know, what is it that God has commanded us to do in Christ? What is it that we are supposed to be about as uh, those who follow Jesus? And it's not just whatever. Um, and so as much as this might sound like he's saying anything goes, it's not saying that. He's saying I'm still under Christ. That's... Uh, that's who I am serving ultimately, even as I'm trying to serve other people in this way. And then to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. This word gospel just keeps coming around, doesn't it? Gospel, 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 the good news. This is not a word that started with the New Testament. This is a word that was being used already 
in the culture. This is the word that was being used to announce the arrival of a new king. There's a new Caesar that has been born. Messengers, take this message, this good news of this king who has been born or this one who is now going to reign. Take this good news out to the whole of the Roman Empire. So even this word is kind of an act of translating to the culture at large as they are announcing the good news of King Jesus, the one who uh, has, has died paying the penalty for our sin, but who has been raised again to new life and will come again. And this is, you know, what we talk about that, having been saved from the penalty of sin, being saved from the power of sin, and one day will be saved from the presence of sin. This, uh, this good news, uh, I've actually heard a really good, simple way, if you're ever kind of like, I forget what the gospel is again. <laughs> what, is, what is this good news? Um, four words that just kind of help you get a handle on things. Um, the four words are Jesus, Christ, is Lord. There's a lot in there, isn't there? Jesus, meaning the Jewish rabbi born of Mary uh, who preached and taught in Galilee, etc. Christ, as in he wasn't just uh, fully human, but also fully divine, that Christ is the Messiah. That's what that means. That's actually a translated word. Uh, that he is the Messiah, the one who is the fulfillment of all that was promised from uh, the start of the Old Testament to the end of the Old Testament. That he is the one who has come to do uh, what God said he was going to do in putting right again a world that has gone wrong because of sin. So Jesus, Christ, and then Lord. That it's not just that he is... Um, not that he was the uh, person who taught and did these things, and that's that, but that he's actually the king, the king over um, not just uh, Israel, but over the whole world, over all of creation. And, of course, we skip that word is, which is so important, because, again, it's not that he was, but that he is Lord. That means it's good news, not just back then, but it's even good news now. And, um, and so I hope that as you consider this, you think about the people who have gone before you who have received this good news, who have received this good news and seen the ways that it is uh, good news as it has transformed their lives. And yet they didn't then say, boy, I'm glad I got that. And it stops with me. If the generations before us had let the message end with them, they received it, they said, thanks, I'm so glad I have it, I'm keeping it. Then we don't ever hear about it. But every generation has been a generation of people who have received this good news and have said, this is too good to keep to myself. I have to let others know. And so they have done the work of translating it from one generation to the next. We were talking about this in Sunday school. I asked the kids if there's uh, words that they use today that their parents don't even know what they're talking about. And they all laughed. (laughs) Because, of course, 
Every generation, we have new ways of saying things. Every generation, we have new ways of doing things. And the gospel message needs to be translated to the next generation, to the next generation, to the next generation. Even within a generation, it needs to be translated out to those who have not heard, who have, or maybe have heard but have never understood because it's never been communicated in a way that they could understand. And I think too often we have the, the problem of either holding on to it for ourselves or saying, oh, we need to share this, so here's what I'll do. I'll just say it exactly the same way that I heard it to people who don't speak that way. And it'd be the same as trying to read the Bible in Hebrew or Greek when all you speak is English. And people hear it and go, I don't know what you're talking about. If you look in Acts uh, chapter 17, which is actually just before Paul gets to Corinth in chapter 18, in chapter 17, he goes several places. And what he does is he goes first to the synagogues. He goes to the places where Jewish people gather and he starts talking about the Old Testament. And he tells them how Jesus is the good news of the fulfillment of the Old Testament. But then he also goes to Athens. He goes to the place where people are uh, worshiping idols. No concept of uh, the Old Testament scriptures. And he doesn't start with the Old Testament. He starts by talking about an idol that he saw. And he said, I'm going to start with this and tell you about Jesus. He quotes some of their own philosophers and poets speaking in a way that they can understand. Does he change the message about Jesus? No. But he does translate it. And I think this is a very uh, important thing to remember. We see in Galatians that Peter actually fell into um, actually changing and becoming like the Jews, not to win the Jews, but just because he was being influenced by the Jews. And Paul had to come to him and say, what are you doing? (laughs) This is not consistent with the gospel. And so what we do see is this principle of we have to put uh, the needs of others and what they can understand. We've got to put that at a priority. And Paul says, I change the whole way I live if that means that I can help people to understand Jesus better. One of the reasons that Paul does this, we got two. One of the reasons Paul does this is because this is what Jesus does. If you think about the incarnation itself, if you think about Jesus who gave up his rights for us <laughs> and the way in which he, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that in and of itself is an act of translation. We can't see God. How do we know what he's like? And the answer that we've been given is the person of Jesus. Yes, we've been given all of scripture. We've been given all of creation, as Romans 1 tells us. But it's in the person of Jesus that we see God most clearly, that this is the way he has made himself understood the best. It's constantly that work of translation, uh, revealing himself to us in ways that we can understand. And so Paul, of course, is uh, modeling his life on Jesus. What a novel concept. So this is what Jesus does. This is what I do. And so uh, that's one reason 
that he is doing uh, this kind of life translation of the good news of Jesus because he sees this what Jesus does. But then secondly, he actually even says in verse 23, uh, he says, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. An interesting final, final little phrase there, that I may share in its blessings. What does that mean? Well, um, you may remember Jesus told some parables. And uh, the way that Paul talks about you know, winning people, um, it, this is not like he has won this person as a prize and now they go up on his mantle like a trophy. Hey, look, I won this person. It's not like that. The way that this language is actually used is talking more about uh, return on investment. I have gained this much. And so when you start thinking about return on investment, and you think of any parables that might have to do with a return on investment, Matthew 25, Jesus tells about a man who goes on a journey called his servants and entrusted wealth, his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, another one bag. That's been translated, by the way. Each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one who with two bags of gold gained two more, but the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. We're not going to go through the whole thing, but listen to the, just the first one. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who received five bags of gold brought out the other five. Uh, master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Do you hear that last line? Come and share in your master's happiness. You think the master is happy that this man saw such a return on investment? Yeah. And then he says, I want you to share in that happiness with me. When Paul is talking about winning other people, um, and then specifically says, uh, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. He's not just talking about the blessings of the gospel for him, but he's talking about sharing in the blessings, the, uh, that come share in your master's happiness kind of thing as the gospel goes out to other people. And so as the gospel goes out to other people, as other people's lives are being changed, how do you think Paul feels about that? Pretty good, right? To get to see people's lives transformed the way his was transformed? Pretty good. And then, uh, and then to realize that though God could have done this without him, he didn't. He chose to use Paul in this way. This is one of the blessings of the gospel, is to be used by God to uh, spread the good news of Jesus to those who need to hear it. And so one of the reasons why Paul does this, because this is what Jesus does, the second reason is in order to share in the blessings of the gospel and what it means to have a part in what Jesus is doing, even uh, in his day and even in our day. So the, um, the questions we have from here 
moving forward is what does it mean for uh, for the message of Jesus to be good news for us and for the world? What does it mean for Jesus to be good news? Who he is, what he has done, what he is doing, what he will do. How is that good news for us and for the world? Secondly, who is it that doesn't know that that's good news? Who do you know that doesn't know that that's good news? If nobody comes to mind, be praying about that. But I bet people come to mind. Third, be praying about this one as well. How can you translate the message of Jesus? Not change it, but translate it into a way that somebody who doesn't know Jesus can hear it and understand it and receive it as the good news that it is. This won't happen by accident. This happens when we, as people who have been called to follow Jesus, intentionally follow Jesus and by his Holy Spirit actually do the things he's called us to do. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the good news that he is for us. We thank you for the ways that we have uh, seen the transformation that he can accomplish. I pray that you would give us eyes to see uh, those who, um, who need to hear and understand and receive this message for the good news that it is. God, we pray that you would help us to do the hard work of translation. God, help us to communicate clearly, understanding that no, um, no amount of translation or clear communication can guarantee any kind of positive result. Or we recognize it is the work of your Holy Spirit in human hearts that does the work. God, we also know that you have called us to a partnership with you. And you have given us what to do. So God, we pray that you'd help us to do exactly that. God, that we would actually experience the blessings of seeing others come to know you, to love and trust you, to see them receive this good news of Jesus into their lives. And God, that then they would in turn likewise follow Jesus and continue to translate this message even to the next generation. We thank you and we give you praise for your ways are amazing. I pray all of this in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread 
Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.